2: once upon a time and welcome to the story story podcast i am your host rachel ann harding and i have some stories for you this is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world it will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely this week's stories are spooky but not too spooky if you are responsible for tender ears you might want to listen first or forge ahead and enjoy the chills I was walking home under a full moon, with leaves crunching underfoot, the crisp autumn air swirling around me. I was enjoying the walk, passing by houses with warm light spilling out and lighting my way. Then came the sound of feet behind me, crunching, quick. I moved to the side, thinking a jogger would pass by, but the crunching matched my pace. I sped up, and so did the sound of footsteps. I slowed down, and so did the footsteps. I pulled my coat round me and tensed to look over my shoulder. The stories for this episode each feature the colour red and strange men. The first teller is Liz Weir, the enchanting and generous storyteller from Northern Ireland. She has events often, so those in her area do look her up and discover the wonder of hearing her live – This is one of my favourite stories of hers and I've heard her tell it in person with shivers running up my
1: back. This is Mary and the Red Dress. This story comes from County Mayo and was told to me by a woman called Mary, a traveller woman, who heard it from her grandmother. Long ago in a small village in County Mayo there lived a beautiful girl called Mary. She had long dark hair and pale skin. And above all else, she loved to dance. But in those far-off days, you didn't get dances very often. You had to wait for a notice to go up in the wall, dance in the parochial hall, such and such a date. And the minute she saw that notice, she would run off and find her father and ask permission to go. And her father always said the same thing. Yes, you can go, as long as I walk you to the dance and I walk you home. And of course she had to accept his decision. The next problem she had, though, was nothing to wear. And on one occasion she was walking down the street past the only half-decent shop in the village and there in the window she saw a beautiful red dress. Mary knew that with her dark hair and her pale skin the dress would suit her well. But when she saw the price tag, she knew she couldn't afford it. And as she stared at it longingly, without even thinking, she spoke out loud and said, "'I'd give my heart and soul for that dress.' And the minute the words were out of her mouth, a voice behind her said, "'Would you give me your heart and soul for the dress?' "'Oh, indeed I would,' she said, without thinking. When she turned her head, there behind her was a handsome young man, tall and dark, lovely dark suit.' and holding out a parcel. He said, there's your dress. Oh, no, sir, she said. I don't know you. I can't accept a gift from you. Oh, sorry, he said. I didn't introduce myself. He shook hands. My name is Nicholas. I've been away from this village for years. I'm only back. You're the nicest-looking girl I've seen since I've been away. And sure, that dress would suit you well. Take it. Come to the dance with me. Well, what could she say? He was good-looking, obviously had some money, plenty of manners. She brought him home and introduced him to her parents. And her father, though strict, agreed that Mary and Nicholas could walk out together, could go out on dates. And when it came round to the night of the dance, her father agreed that Nicholas could bring her to the dance and Nicholas could bring her home. Well... The excitement. Mary wore the beautiful red dress. Oh, the excitement. Mary and Nicholas danced every dance together until the end of the night when it was time to leave the village hall and walk down the lonely country road home, leaving the lights behind with just a bit of starlight to light the way. The trees along the road nodded like old men's heads. And then they came to a part of the road where the road forked. And there were two ways home to Mary's house. There was a long way, or there was a shortcut, over an old stone bridge. Nicholas turned to go over the bridge. No, no, said Mary, we can't go that way. What are you talking about, he said. It's a shortcut. No, we can't go that way. Sure, we're over it this afternoon. It's the way we always go. Oh, yes, said Mary. That was in daytime. "'Nobody crosses that bridge at night, Daddy says.' <laughs> "'Daddy says, your daddy's not here. Come on, I'm here. "'Give me your hand and come.' And she took his hand, and they walked across the bridge. And when they got to the middle of it, Nicholas stopped. All oh, Mary's heart was beating, so she had lost her heart to him weeks before. And he turned, and he looked down into her eyes, and as she looked into his, she noticed they seemed to glow reddish, And then he said in a quiet voice, Do you remember the day you said you'd give your heart and soul for the dress? I know I've got your heart, but tonight I'll take your soul. And he grabbed her. The girl screamed. And as she did, the bridge started to open and flames came up. Nicholas grabbed her and was dragging her towards those flames. Mary kicked and screamed and yelled. And an old priest who was visiting the sick heard Mary call. He ran to that bridge, saw what was going on, said, "'Leave that young woman alone!' "'Oh, no,' said Nicholas. "'She said she'd give her heart and soul for the dress. "'I won't leave here tonight without a heart and soul.' And the old man said, "'Take mine!' Immediately, he released the girl. She ran home screaming for her father and her brothers, but when they rushed back to the bridge, the whole bridge had sealed over, Nicholas had vanished, and all that was left of the old man was his collar and his beads. And they say that if you go to County Mayo to this very day, there's a village there, in which there's an old stone bridge that's all sealed around with barbed wire, and no one crosses that bridge night or day.
2: Today's fairy tale sponsor is M. Deuce's Statuary Emporium. Imdusa has been a master sculptor for hundreds of years, and for a limited time she is selling off some of her priceless statues and allowing people to come to her statuary emporium. Don't blink. The statues are so lifelike you might swear their eyes are following you. She is offering 25% off her Terrified Warriors line. What a bargain. Get your tickets for the hottest garden ornament sale this season, but please keep an eye on your spouse or children. Any statues that look like relatives are purely coincidental. Imdusa's Statuary Emporium. Garden ornamentals for those with rock star gardens. Did you know that all the patrons of the podcast can sense minor ghosts and are supporters of the arts? You can be, too, for as little as $4 a month. A big thank you to all the patrons who make this podcast possible. If you want to hear me make up facts about you, then maybe you should become a supporter, too. It would be pretty cool. As I stopped to turn and look over my shoulder, the footsteps following me stopped. I swung round words on my lips for whomever was creeping up on me, but there was no one there. I turned round and round, but couldn't find the source of the footsteps. I pulled my coat closer. Come out now. I heard you walking behind me. From behind a bush came the biggest tortoise shell cat I had ever seen. I crouched and offered my hand, and the cat came up and rubbed his head against it. Well, hello, Mr. Meow. I'm going to go home now. I turned and continued walking, and the cat trailed behind me, his paws crunching in the leaves. I turned round corners and walked past houses with grinning jack-o'-lanterns. When I finally came to my own door, I turned and the cat was sitting on the sidewalk waiting for me to go inside. I called out, Thank you for walking me home. The cat nodded and turned, disappearing into the dark. Millbury Birch is an award-winning, internationally known performer and recording artist, as well as a monologist, playwright, and teacher of her craft. The story she's about to tell has a twist of the West, and I'm rather fond that it represents redheads, like me. This is her telling, Mr. Death and the Red-Headed Woman.
0: Mr. Death come a ridin' in from the plains on his pale stallion, a shootin' off his pistols, bangety bang bang! ee We was scared all us little uns, and the grown folks too. Only to them he seemed more familiar. But he never touched nary a soul that day. But Billy Bedam Bangtree, the one the girls was all crazy for, and Mr. Death no more'n just laid a finger on him, so he didn't die right off, but lay there cold and sweatin' dying of a bullet in his belly, which was shot off by a drunken cowpoke in a wild euchre game. Now many a girl in our town wet the pillow with her tears when she heard how young Billy was like to die, for he was a handsome man and drove all women wild. But the one that cried and carried on the worst was pretty little Maud Applegate, with the freckles and the red hair. Old Injun Mary, was a nursin' billy with poultices and healing herbs and wouldn't let no other woman near his door, so there wasn't nary a thing Maud Applegate could do for him. But you can't expect a red-headed woman to just sit around and fret like you would another color girl, and Maud was no exception to that rule. Though she cried and carried on for a while, she pretty soon decided something had to be done, so she dried her eyes on her pettiskirt, saddled up her daddy's pinto pony, and took out across the plains after Mr. Death. Maud Applegate, she rode high and she rode low. She rode through the cow country into the sheep country, through the sheep country into the engine country, through the engine country to the far mountains, and there at last she caught up with Mr. Death, just about a mile down the trail from the little old shack where he lived with his granny up above the timber line. When Maud Applegate spied his pale stallion, she was mighty tired and mighty weary, Her red hair was all tumbled down her back, and her daddy's pinto wasn't no more than skin and bone. But she caught her breath and sang out loud, Oh, wait up, Mr. Death! Wait for me! Mr. Death, he pulled up his pale stallion and looked around, surprise-like, for there isn't many that call out to halt him. Why, what do you want, Missy? he asked Maud Applegate as she rode up alongside. Jumpin' Jehoshaphat! If you don't look like you rode clean through the briar patch... Oh, mister Death, Maud panted out. I rode high and I rode low after you. I rode through cow country into sheep country, through sheep country into Injun country, through Injun Country to the Far Mountains, and all to ask, would you spare Billy Bedam Bangtree my own true love? At that mister Death rode back his head so's his black sombrero slipped off and hung around his neck by the strings, and he laughed loud. Now ain't that cute? said mister Death. Honey, I reckon you're just about the cutest thing I'm likely to see. But Maud Applegate, she'd rode high and she'd rode low. She'd stood thirst and she'd stood hunger. She'd like to kill her daddy's pretty little pinto. Furthermore, she was a redheaded woman, and she wasn't going to be laughed at, so... She took and cussed out Mr. Death good. She told him that where she come from... No gentleman laughed at no lady in her true trouble, and she'd thank him to mind his manners with her and she'd like to know who brought him up anyhow. She'd lay his mammys a spinning in her grave, and so on. Well, Mr. Death, he sobered down shortly and set up straight in his saddle and listened real still with only his eyes a- blinkin when Maud Applegate give out a breath, he took out his tobacco bag, licked a paper, and rolled him a smoke. Well ye give me for Billy bedam bangtree said he. But Maud Applegate, she was really wound up. She tossed her red hair like a pony's mane and made a sassy mouth. I ain't a-gonna talk business until I've washed my face and had me a bite to eat," said she. "I've rode high and I've rode low. All right, all right," said Mister Death. Ride along now, and I'll take you to my cabin, where my old granny'll take care of you." So Maud and Mister Death they rode up the slope. Mister Death reining in his pale stallion to keep down to the poor tired pinto. "'until presently they come to little old shack "'with smoke coming out of the stovepipe. "'There was Mr. Death's granny, a-standin' at the gate, "'as pleased as punch to see some company. "'Why, you're right, welcome, Missy,' she sang out, "'soon's they were within callin' distance. "'The pot's on the stove and the kettle's a-bilin'. "'Come right in and rest yourself a while.' "'So they pulled up, and Mr. Death swung down off his pale stallion, "'come around by Maud and lifted her right down to the ground,' With his two big hands a- meetin around her little waist, oh, ain't she the pretty little thing? His granny kept a- sayin all the while and hobbling around the dooryard on her crutch like a bird with a broken wing. Then she'd taken Maud inside and give her warm water and an ivory comb and a pretty silk wrapper from out of her old brass-bound chest and when Mr Death come in from seein to the horses, there's Maud Applegate a settin like a red-headed angel drinkin tea maud she perked up soon she got some vittles inside her and presently she had mr death and his granny laughing fit to bust with her comical tales of the folks back home soon mr death he set into yawning and gaping i've rode a far piece today he said to his granny i've been twice around the world and back and i think i'll lay my head in your lap and catch 40 winks and shortly he was a snorin'. Then Death's Granny began to talk low to Maud Applegate, questioning her all about herself and where she come from and why she come. So Maud told her all about how Billy Bedam Bangtree, her own true love, lay a dime of a bullet in his belly. So what could she do but take out after Mr. Death to beg him to stay his hand? When Death's Granny had heard the whole story, she fetched a great sigh. "'Well,' she said, "'it's a great pity to me you got your heart set,' For you're like the girl I once was, and if I had my way, you're the girl I'd choose for my grandson to marry. For I'm old and tired and would like to see him settle before I go to my rest. You're young and you're pretty, and you don't stand for no sass. And if my old eyes don't deceive me, you can do a bit of witching too. Now ain't that true? Well, Maud answered her modestly, just a little of the plain. Like what now? said Dusk Granny. White or black? "'Little both, said Maud, "'witched my little brother into passing his arithmetic, "'and I also witched the preacher's wife, "'so she tripped on her shoestring and fell in the horse trough.' "'Once more, Death's granny fetched a sigh. "'That's a good start for a un, said she. "'Don't look to me like a girl like you "'ought to waste herself on no drunken, gambling cowhand, "'gets herself shot up in some fool card game. Howsomever, if you got your heart set, I'll help you. "'Whenever Death catnaps this way.' He shortly begins to talk in his sleep, and when he talks, he'll answer three questions truly, and then wake up. What shall I ask him for you? Ask him, said Maud right away, what is his price to let off Billy Bedam Bangtree? That's one, said Death's granny. You got three questions. What else? At this, Maud had to think, and presently she said, Ask him why he took my baby sister from her cradle. Very well, child, said Granny, and one more. Then Maud Applegate bent her red head near to the red fire and was still, but at last she said kind of low and slow, Ask him what he does when he's lonesome. To this, Death's Granny answered nothing at all, and so they sat in quiet until shortly Death began to mumble in his sleep. Then his Granny took a holt of a lock of his coal-black hair and tweaked it, gentle-like. "'Yes,' Death said, but without waking up. "'Yes?' "'Tell me, son,' Death Granny said, bending over his ear. "'What will you take to let off Billy Badam Bangtree?' "'At this, Death twitched and turned in his sleep. "'Oh, Granny,' he said, "'she's such a pretty girl. "'If it was some, I'd make it an eye, "'and if it was others, I'd make it ten years of life. "'But for her, I'll make it that she must ride with me two times around the world.' and give me a kiss on the lips. At this, Maud drawed a great deep breath and leaned back in her chair. Well, son, said Granny, here's another question she asks of you. Why did you take her baby sister from the cradle? Then death twisted and turned in his sleep again. She was sick, he said. She was full of pain. I took her so she'd need never cry no more. At this, Maud bowed her head and "'hit her cheek in her hand. "'Well, son,' said Death's granny, "'and here's the last. "'What is it you do when you're lonesome?' "'At this, Death gave a regular heave and a great groan, "'and he turned his face from the light of the fire. "'For a long time he whispered and mumbled, "'and finally he said real low, "'A peep through the windows "'at how the human beings sleep in each other's arms. "'And with this last,' He woke up with a jerk, give a mighty yawn, saying, My stars, I must have dropped off. Now, Mr. Death and his granny was cheerful folks in spite of his profession, and that evening they gave Maud Applegate such a high old time that she was almost glad she come. Death's granny, she told some mighty edifying stories about her young days, and furthermore, she got out a jug of her blackberry wine, and death... He played such merry tunes on his fiddle that Maud Applegate got right up out of her chair, picked up her skirts, and danced. It was late that night when Des Granny showed Maud to the little trundle bed all made up fresh beside her own four poster. In the morning, Des Granny had Maud's own dress all mended and pressed for her, and a fine breakfast of coffee and ham and grits to stay their stomachs for their long trip. And when Mr. Death brought round his pale stallion all saddled and bridled to go, the tears was standing in his granny's eyes as she kissed Maud Applegate good goodbye good goodbye Maud said, I thank you for your fine hospitality, and if it wasn't for Billy Bedam Bangtree my own true love, I'd be right sorry to go Mister Death he lifted Maud up to his big stallion and leaped astride. Then away they rode, right up the snowy mountaintop into the sky, and Maud Applegate was surprised to find herself warm and comfortable, riding pillion with her arms wrapped around Mr. Death's waist. Then didn't they have a ride. Mr. Death, he rode his pale stallion up the mountains of the storm to the pastures of the sky, where the little clouds was grazing beside their big fat white mammies, and the big black daddy clouds kept watch around the edge. And he rode right up in the fields where the stars grow and let Maud Applegate pluck a few to wear in her red hair. He rode past the moon, and when Maud Applegate reached out and touched it, it was cold as snow and slippery, too. They couldn't get too near the sun, Mr. Death said, lest they might get burned. But Mr. Death, he had his business to tend to, so pretty soon they set out across the wide ocean on their way to twice around the world. Mr. Death He wrapped Maud in his cloak of invisibility, and he took her to all sorts of houses in all sorts of climes, houses where Chinese folks lived and Russian and Japanese and African and folks that never spoke a word English since the day they were born. He showed her castles and dirty little huts, the like of which she never seen in all the state of Texas. He showed her kings and princes and poor folks and all, and maybe she didn't just open her eyes. But in one respect she noticed they was all alike. When mister Death come, the livin' couldn't see him, and wept and wailed, but the folks that was dyin' rose up to greet him, and smiled at him on their way, like they knew him for a friend. She was right glad to see that everybody didn't take him for such a bad fella after all. While they rode, mister Death, he told Maud Applegate many a pretty tale about his far travels, and it was plain to see he was a man knew more liquor and women and ridin' herd and when they was on their last lap round and on their way home, Mr. Death, he rode out over the ocean and showed Maud Applegate where the whales played. She saw him just as plain, a ploughin' through the clear green water like a herd of buffalo on a grassy plain. And he rode over the North Pole for her to see the polar bears, which was all white but for their noses. And he showed her the crocodiles of Egypt drifting down the Nile, and the tigers of India, too, and every strange creature with his mate. And at last, Maud Applegate couldn't help feeling sorry for Mr. Death, that he was the only one who had to be alone in all the whole wide world. But at last, they was loping back over the plain toward our town. They seen the smoke arising from the stovepipes and chimneys into the pale blue sky. They rode right down the main street past Tarbell's Emporium, past the Wells Fargo office, and reined up before the Bluebird Saloon. Why... What are you pulling up here for? Maud Applegate asked to Mr. Death, feeling surprised. But Mr. Death only answered, Never mind, you'll see, and swung down out of the saddle. Then he reached up and lifted Maud down from off his pale stallion, and he wrapped her once more in his cloak of invisibility, and he said to her, Now for the rest of the bargain. So Maud stood there with her eyes shut, kind of stiff, and stealing herself for his kiss, but nothing happened at all, so she opened them again. And Mr. Death said to her, "'No, Maud, the bargain was that you was to kiss me.'" So, Maud, she was obliged to ask Mr. Death to lean down his head, which he did, and she was obliged to reach up and put her mouth on his. Now, maybe she thought it would be cold, and maybe she thought it would be fearful to kiss Mr. Death. I don't know, I'm sure. But it surely come as a great surprise to her when she found her two arms around his neck without her knowing how they got there— and her own two lips on his, and the truth of the matter is, it was mister Death stepped away the first, and told her soft and low Run along now, Maud. Billy Bedam Bangtree, your own true love, is settin' right in there in the Bluebird saloon. Then mister Death unwrapped her from his cloak of invisibility, so she couldn't see him no more, only hear his spurs jinglin' as he walked away. And Maud Applegate was left standin' by herself before the Bluebird saloon, where inside the window she could see Billy Bedam Bangtree, her own true love, sitting at a table drinking whiskey with a bunch of fly young women of a kind doesn't mind settin' in saloons. Oh, then Maud Applegate's bosom was so full of a thousand feelings she thought she would bust, and she didn't know whether what she wanted most was to wrench up the hitchin' post, bust into the Bluebird Saloon, and lambaste her own true love, or whether she'd simply like to melt a shame and sink through the ground. Then she noticed that her daddy's pinto all groomed and saddled, was tied up by the bluebird door. She was just about decided to mount him and gallop off home before anybody seen her when Billy Bedam Bangtree caught a sight of her through the window and come pushing through the swinging doors, swaggering and hitching his pants like he ain't never been half dead in his life. Why, he sings out, if it ain't little Maud Applegate waiting for me outside the bluebird saloon, where you been, honey? Heard you was away. Maud Applegate, she felt the red coming up in her face. She snapped back at him, Heard you was mighty sick. Mighty sick, Billy said, shaking his head. Mighty sick and like to die. But ol' Injun Mary, she doctored me good as new with her poultices and herbs. Now this was the last straw to Maud Applegate. She'd rode high and she'd rode low. She'd rode through cow country to sheep country, through sheep country to engine country, through engine country to the far mountains. All to stay the hand of Mister Death from taking Billy Bedam Bangtree her own true love. She'd rode twice around the world and back and give a kiss on the lips to a strange man, and all to save a feller which turned out to be this horse smellin', whiskey breathin', tobacco chewin', loose livin', gamblin', no good cowhand standin' here lookin' at her like she was a ripe peach, and all he had to do was shake the tree. Maud Applegate was so mad she could have cried, but she didn't do no such of a thing since she was a red-headed woman, and besides, something better come to her mind. Just then, she seen old Pap Tarbell lean out in the upstairs wind of Tarbell's emporium, and Maud, she took and witched to spell. When Pap let fly with his tobacco juice, Maud, she witched it straight into Billy Bedam Bangtree's eye— And while he was still standing there, a cursing and a swearing in such language as no lady cares to hear, Maud unhitched her daddy's little pinto pony and leaped astride. She dug in her heels and set the dust a-flying as she galloped down the street out of town. She rode through cow country into sheep country, through sheep country into engine country, through engine country to the far mountains, till she caught sight of Mr. Death on his pale stallion. Then she sung out, Oh, wait, Mr. Death! Wait up for me! And when Mr. Death heard her, he turned and rode back down the trail, though he is one who turns back for no man. And he snatched her off her little pinto pony and onto his pale stallion. He held her close, and he kissed her good, and pretty soon he said, I guess Granny will be mighty proud to see you. And Maud Applegate said to him, just don't let me hear no talk about peepin' through folks's windows, never no more. So Maud Applegate, she lived long and happy with Mr. Death, and from all I hear, she's with him yet. Fact is, she took to helping him with his work, and when we was little uns and cross at bedtime and startin' to cry, our mammies tell us, Hush now, honey, close your eyes, and pretty soon Maud Applegate will sit by your bed and sing you a lullaby. And she used to, too. Heard her myself. Thank you for listening to the Story
2: Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Liz Weir and Millberry Birch on the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. You can find me and the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. at Story Story Podcast or Rachel Ann Harding. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor are Orla McGovern, Katie Knutson, and Alexis Cooley check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors and let me know the favorite story you've heard or the favorite stories of your childhood who knows maybe you'll hear them here soon this podcast is made possible by patrons like you if you would like to become a supporter of the podcast or discover sponsorship opportunities you can find links on story if it isn't in the cards to support the podcast right now No worries. Perhaps you'd be willing to go write a review on iTunes, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the podcast. Head over to the website and join the mailing list for hidden goodies. And if you tune in, you'll hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever
1: after.
0: Mary Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket,
1: was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely... You can even hear the festive music from the royal court.
2: I was walking home under a full moon with leaves crunching underfoot crisp autumn air swirling around me i i cannot speak now <laughs>